0: Some of people's one time What up, what up, what up, y'all This is Across the Intersection Podcast We in here again this week Talking all things race, politics Culture, faith The whole nine yards This is AJ, I'm in here with the full cast of characters this week Got Eve in here My man Avery Hello. And Raghu is in the building How you doing everybody? Um, please follow us on social media, uh Facebook.com slash across the intersection. Um, and definitely hit us up on Twitter at Across This. Um you can follow us individually on social media. I'm at DeVenimus D-I-V-E-N-O-M-O-U-S.
1: Yep, and I'm on Twitter at E to the V to the E.
0: This is Avery. You can catch me
2: at tw- on Twitter at a very good idea. And on Instagram at a very good idea. That's hey, Uh You can
3: follow me on Instagram uh, at goo underscore underscore tech. That's G U E underscore T H E underscore T E C H.
0: All right. Oh, yeah. And you can hit me up on Instagram at dividimus as well. Same thing. Um, definitely check us out on iTunes um, and Google Play. Um, and if you have neither of those platforms, you can always go to SoundCloud. Um, and peak the podcast, if you have an Apple product and you listen to us on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating. We would gladly appreciate that because we try to be mature and we would hope that you do the same. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, so there's been some stuff going on this week. We're just going to jump right into it. All right. We just cut through all the pleasantries and let's jump right into it. Um, there's been a lot of stuff going on this week in the world of technology. Um, so there's a... Uh, a uh, technology company in Wisconsin. It's actually called Three Square Market. Um and they are offering offering. Air quotes. It's, yeah, offering in air quotes for those of you who are in the business. They're offering like a la carte, right? Buttercrunch cookies. No <laughs> buttercrunch cookies, right? <laughs> Buttercrunch double chocolate and rice size microchip injections. <laughs> it's like you want french fries, buttercrunch cookies, or microchip injection. So they are they're offering microchip injection to their employees. Um and they already have like 50 employees who have accepted or you know who are willing or planning on a- accepting the the microchip. For those of y'all who don't know what that's what that means is they're going to inject a rice size, like a grain of rice. Uh, size microchip into the right hand of the employees. That little piece of meat that skin fold in between your thumb and your pointer finger. I'm holding it like y'all can see me right now. It's <laughs> right there. Um, the gonna, chunky
1: part, that part.
0: Right. The little chunky meaty part, right? And, and, and we
2: can't make any assumptions. We have to be inclusive. So for all those who have a, a right
0: hand and an index finger oh. and a thumb... You know, <laughs> right. We can't make any assumptions. I can't assume everybody has all ten you know fingers. Yeah. <laughs> um but it's gonna be an RFID uh chip. What's that like radio frequency mm-hmm. ID, right? Yeah. Um I so I know from reading the past couple years there are some companies in Europe that already do this. That's right. Um For
1: Spot maybe. For Spot and uh Aunt Helga. <laughs>
0: That really? That, that, that's legit? Aunt
1: Helga? Well, whatever your grandmother's Or your your, aunt, your grandmother's sister's name is <laughs> But, but you a legitimate know legitimate
0: business? <laughs> right. Somebody come in, <laughs> Somebody in aunt Helga? Oh my goodness But um,
2: for older people as well as for, you know, animals, pets, dogs Yeah, and I, and I read it um, It was a co-working space In, um, I can't remember the country It might have been Sweden Switzerland, yeah, or some, some yeah, some uh-huh. sw, something Yeah, some SWA. Some SW European Yep, and um they had the they, they had the little chips that you can put in your hand and it allows you to enter and exit the building purchase items among other things yes yeah, so
0: it, it's offering the, uh, the, the the chip you have to purchase food at work to get in and I think it's gonna let them log on to their computers right um, and the USA Today article actually has a picture of somebody like swiping their hand up uh, up against like the the little thing at the door like the reader at the door. Um, that's crazy, right? From a natural perspective, it seems like a progression in technology that there would be some symbiosis between bio and mechanical, or bio and electronic. Um, but from a spiritual, I guess it has other spiritual implications.
2: Yeah, I think I think um, for the natural side, the 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 difference here um between the other kinds of biotechnologies, I would say is that this is more on like a a consumer everyday level um, where it's kind of cavalier and it's not necessarily medically based. It's more so out of convenience that somebody is slicing your skin open and putting this uh, chip in there that essentially replaces a wallet um, (laughs) and and among other things.
1: So from a biological standpoint, uh, would the intrusiveness be similar to someone, you know, getting their ear pierced or, you know, something or, or a tat or something where you don't have to be a physician to be able to install that?
2: Well, I haven't read it, but I mean, I'm I'm sure that you probably would have to be some kind of physician on some level okay, to yeah. make sure that it... You know.
0: Well, this is definitely in Ragu's wheelhouse, so well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to let Ragu introduce himself, right? Tell us what you do. Tell us your background. For the, I know because he's my brother-in-law, for those of y'all who don't know. And then- <laughs> Full expo- disclosure. Right, full disclosure, right? And then go ahead and explain a little bit more in the, the backdrop of what something like this could entail.
3: So, from what I've gathered so far about this particular, uh, this particular uh, piece of technology and- this allows pretty much full access, like a uh, access card to a building or logging into your computer or swiping at a vending machine so without the that actual external card, it's now p- part of your hand essentially, and the crazy thing is there was no discussion about if someone wanted to get this removed like that 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 process of hey, you know what happens if a uh, uh, employee wants to leave and or hmm wants to <clears throat> disenroll in part of the uh, the pilot program of mm-hmm. of having this microchip installed there there was no discussion about it or the implications of uh bodily harm while having this
2: chip after duration of time uh in your body.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, no it would there be because um I find that sad but I'm not surprised because um that would be anti-capitalistic to think about how to remove it is too pro consumer protection you know mm-hmm. and it's like um, as a as a company that's selling these chips and injecting them mm-hmm. that's just all benefit the collection of data mm-hmm. you right. know like with Amazon Web services or however else they're collecting the data from uh, these users or these people, that information and that data can always be used later right. And that's man you know that's always like um, my concern so it's a big privacy issue.
1: That's yeah. amazing because you know I didn't even think about that until you until you both just brought that up and indentured servitude comes to mind. It's almost mm-hmm. you know you're chained to a position for a period of time but even even after that period of time goes past, you know so yeah how how can you yeah. um disenroll how can you say no i want to start my own business or i want to do something else besides being tied to this one company
0: and you know that they won't turn it off you know that they're going to track you where you go after Dude. work right oh oh this mm. this percentage of our employees go out drinking after work and this percentage shop at target yeah cuz it's mm-hmm. geolocation yeah um
3: it's, it's it's constantly giving information out cuz yeah. it's RFID yeah yeah
2: it, well yeah, yeah, it is that. Um, I mean it could be it could be recording information in itself and then maybe every day it unloads mm-hmm. when it gets to work, right? So it doesn't have to be like a gajillion gigabytes big. It can just have just enough space on there to record the latest twenty four hours and every time you report back then it you you understand what I'm saying right it unloads yes. and erases itself. So Man. um I don't know for sure, but that's what I'm thinking. And then and then the other thing that you have to keep in mind is that the collection of data is not necessarily for the here and now. It's not for mm-hmm. uh, oh Amadi is at, is at Starbucks right now or Ragu is at I don't know. I don't know a place Best you buy, go. Best <laughs> Buy. Just walking around window shop. Yeah, <laughs> um, there you go. Gateway Computer. Those still out? Okay. Oh, I think they're gone. Uh, yeah, the Gateway. They gone, man. <laughs> they gone? gone. Okay. They've
0: gone the way of the Gateway.
2: <laughs> yeah, but but it's not it's not it's not necessarily just about where you are now. Mm-hmm. It's about where you were ten years ago. It's about it's just like the movie Minority Report, where where. Well, yeah, well, it's about collecting because the, the, the NSA does this. No such agency. That's uh. what I'm talking about. <laughs> and
0: uh, the data... We did, love the NSA here, right? Don't. Yeah, I mean, if you saw the...
1: Um, we love me. the NSA. We
2: love... What's the dude? What's the dude? Um, the Snowden, Snowden dude? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was Snowden. You saw that movie? I saw the I movie. You didn't to, see the movie? It was great. So, it was fabulous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, that was all about um, uh, the prison program and... Uh, the collecting of data going around the laws and collecting collecting data collecting the world's data because you can and to prevent the idea is to prevent any any it, it's about having leverage uh, in the world so you don't have to have a physical war you have a you can have a silent war info war and oh, yeah. so um, that means that you can have data on another country. Have information on another country. And that country wouldn't ever—they uh, would be dep- indebted to you. It would be indebted yeah, to you. Yeah, exactly. Time. So it's all about like the collection of data and and um, collecting our data as people. Uh, what happens is is that if something were to happen five years from now, ten years from now, then they can just go. F- Search through the data and find out what someone was doing ten years ago. Oh, they okay, so they met up with Eva at uh, start, an undisclosed you know, location at RFK Stadium podcast. or something. I don't know. It, <laughs> I don't know wherever you go you know, during your lunch breaks, but you, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, and then and 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 then any kind of narrative can be created in oh, order yes. to establish a particular. No, you bring up a very goal. valid
3: point, though, yep. Avery, about this, the housing of information especially with just this particular technology in place, there, there was no discussion on how, how we're going to encrypt this or put this away somewhere where if a company or intruder hacks into this, this company's uh, infrastructure, they pull, pull information about all these lists of people and what they've been doing. Yeah,
1: it's data just,
3: people analytics. People get hacked all the time. Data analytics is a big deal well, right you know, and it's, now. It's just it's, crazy. It's, and, it's
0: funny you, you bring up a point, Avery. I just wanted to read, you know, for those of you who listen, who read the Bible... Right, there's, that, there's a scripture in Revelation 13 that talks about you know, you said something about leverage and power. And in, in Revelation 13, it says, um, and this is verse 15 uh, the second beast was empowered to give life to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and could cause all those who did not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He caused everyone, and by everyone, I mean everyone small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to obtain a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. Thus, no one was allowed to buy or sell things unless he bore the mark of the beast, that is, his name or his number. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has insight calculate the beast's number, for it is man's number, and the number is 666. So, I'm not going to get into, you know, whether you believe what the physical mark is, but the actual point of power, that without it, you aren't able to enter into the system of commerce. Because that's what that means. If you cannot buy or sell, it'd be one thing if it just said you couldn't buy, you'd be like, all right, I'll just go somewhere and take my talents to South Beach. You know, <laughs> I'll pull a LeBron James, right? But you can't buy or sell. So even if you have a product that you want to enter into the marketplace, you cannot, end, like you are shut out from the system of commerce without this particular mark. So. You know, we just got to be leery about these types of things because it. I think it's a slippery slope, and it takes us into that place where, because eventually, companies could say, you know, because you could probably always quote unquote opt out, but then you may lose your job, right? They say, well, you know what? It's now company policy that if you don't do X, Y, and Z, your employment could be in jeopardy.
2: Well, I mean, it could be it could be opting out like the equivalent of not using a credit card, like. You don't have to use a credit card, but if you if you ever gone to another country, like if you ever get on a plane, right. you have to have a credit card. You cannot fly on a plane, as far as I know, without having a credit card. It's the only can just walk up to an airport and be like, "I got cash, straight cash, homie." It's, it's like no, there's it's no option. Inconvenient.
1: So, Life is just inconvenient, and would be inconvenient without making use of these types of technologies.
2: Yeah, right. With the, right, and so and so. um yeah, so I I I agree with you and um it's uh uh the whole I mean I I just I find it fascinating that 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 was written that was written as we know it to be about 2000 or so. Yep. Uh Gregorian or was it Julian? Julian I think, years.
1: I forgot when the Gregorian calendar was. Yeah, it's was, Julian calendar. Yeah, yeah, either way, it was a long time ago. It's
2: a Julian calendar, yeah, the year zero or whatever. And so, the year of our Lord. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and 2017. You know, and that was written around approximately 2,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. And for us to be where we are now in regard to that being a reality, I find that incredibly fascinating
1: yeah i was going to make a point about that i think it's irrelevant whether people believe in the bible or not you just read something that was yeah. written on an island in, uh, in in the mediterranean you know two millennia ago where there would have been no context whatsoever mm-hmm. for 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 someone to say everybody for anyone Absolutely. to say what 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 the apostle john said there um but in addition to that i mean just think about it, just look at the fact that something was written a long time ago. It seems maybe it's coming to pass now, maybe it's not, but at least I think it's worth having a conversation about it. And then of course, having a conversation about some of the dangers, possible dangers of this. I was just thinking a few seconds ago about how, um, what information is that chip collecting about the bio? chemistry of yeah, the person good point. Yep. Um, good point. you know what's you know it, is it collecting anything um the people who manufacture it can say okay the only purpose for this chip is for you to be able to buy and sell within your company get in the doors and for us to kind of keep a record of who's in the building and who isn't but how do you know that that's the only information yeah. that's being yeah, collected those are probably
3: definitely discussions behind closed yeah. door about what other uh, functions that chip can serve
2: oh yeah of yeah course. I, I, absolutely and the thing is about technology both Raghu and i definitely understand it is that for that for the
0: Oh, so what you trying
2: to the, the non-technical, <laughs> the, the, the non-technical person, yeah, um, has no idea um, of everything that you just said, Eva. Uh, that all that is technology. I, I, I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna give you a little little tip, please. Right please. now, I'm not the smartest person in regard to technology, or whatever. No right, good but,
0: is no. I'm just, <laughs> yeah. I'm just gonna say I'm this. It. I'm on.
2: I'm gonna say this in regard to technology. The biggest thing is like location. Where where can you get something to be able to do whatever it is you want it to do? So, if if you if you want to if you can get something in somebody, it can do whatever it is that you want it to do from that location so they have these things called apis or application programming interface i'm not going to get too technical but what that essentially means is that it is a, it's got hooks hooks in there to be able to connect and do all kinds of different things through through APIs. so if you wanted to collect med- medical data well you would connect it to something else a fitbit or some other kind of proprietary thing physical device physical device and now boom you got it so also there's a certain level of um of of um of grooming that's happening cuz when these things get mm. rolled out you know again we in this us startup driven capitalistic society yeah. and it's about how do you make how do you make things seem like normal regular for day people and regular day to day and uh-huh. day-to-day things? Uh-huh. And so they, they, they have things planned out for, for okay, so we're going we're gonna get people in Wisconsin, they New York is some, you know, no disrespect to our Wisconsin listeners but it's like you know the small place, let's try it out, let's test it here. once we get the positive feedback then you know we roll it out to DC oh yeah you know and then after that then it's gonna be like oh and now you know it can it can help do this and help and help do that. Before it comes to Amazon Go, before it it comes to the masses, it will
0: have been all the kinks will have been worked out. You know, it's
1: interesting. I went to a tech conference for middle schoolers a few months ago, and there were um, uh, drones there. And you know, right now drones are a consumer product. Photographers use them. People Mm -hmm. want to have fun with them. But just five years ago, we knew about drones then. But we can look over the course of this the the last decade, Mm -hmm. or even the last five years. Uh, and see how something was put out there and, and initially people said what in the world is going on it's crazy and then, like you said there's a mm-hmm. psychological impact where you continue to mention it and you talk about its attributes next thing you know and this can be mentioned in a lot of different aspects of our society including what we accept socially uh, technologically and otherwise where a short amount of time will go by and all of a sudden it's second nature for people
3: yeah
0: well, this is going to become second nature for what? people. Like my company, uh, I'll give you I'll a problem. Real real. The company that I work for, my my day job, right? I don't run podcasts, nine <laughs> to five guys, newsflash. In the last six months, they've changed like three company policies. And I tried to fight it for as much as I could, but it got to a point like from my, I'm in construction management. For those of you who don't know. You got a chip, bro? Is that what you're about to tell us? <laughs> right. You got exactly. a chip in your nose? Right. This little yeah. piece of skin in my head. No. They changed company policy earlier this year saying anyone who drives on company time has to submit insurance information. Your personal insurance information, right? Even if you don't drive a company vehicle, which I don't. I drive my own vehicle. I'm just reimbursed. But they're like, nope, if you're driving on company time, you are going to submit insurance information. So I fought it for a couple months. But finally, they were like, if you don't submit it, we're not going to reimburse you anymore. Like, that's it. You want to continue to work here and drive around you're going to submit your insurance information then like within the last month they changed um stuff with the insurance they said um now you have to verify all your dependents <laughs> so i had to i had to give them a copy of my marriage certificate i had to give wow. them a copy of my children's birth Yeah, within the goodness. last 30 days i had to give them a copy of my kids birth now my kids have been on my insurance. Like, you know, this ain't like, uh-huh. I just had a kid yesterday and I'm at, this is like existing people, oh, we we want to verify your dependence now for you. I'm like, yo, what in the world's going on? But it's going to come to a breaking point where, that's why I say it, it's going to come to a point where you're either going to be in or you're going to get shut out, Right. It's not just the, oh, you know, I'm comfortable with it, but it's still optional. George
1: Orwell was right, but he was just 30 years (laughs) ahead (laughs) of it. I mean, this is literally Orwellian, Big Brother. You know, a lot of people would say, oh, man, it's conspiratorial. You know, you're not a conspiracy theorist. What are you talking about? Um, Just take a look around. I got to read that book,
2: 1984. You
1: know, and yeah. that's a good... Because a lot of us had to read that when we were really, really, really little. I haven't even read that. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we had to read it when we were really little. But sometimes it's worth re-examining some of these these texts.
0: No, we got to... <laughs> we have to definitely be mindful. We have to... You know, the Bible talks about, you know, he who has the ear to hear, let him hear. So we have to see and, you know, and, and not just listen and... Once you see and you listen and you hear, you have to be willing to sort of make that jump because you may have to. So make the one that
3: thing jump. I was just gonna go back to the point you were you were talking about something being brought down the consumer grade. So the thing I was referring to or even thinking about was just drones in general. Yeah, that was a military purpose. That was never in the intent, or at least not initially, to right. bring down to the purpose of having a consumer grade uh, piece of device to just fly around and <laughs> look at things. No.
0: I mean that's the internet. That's what the internet was. Yeah, when exactly. It for, you know, it's when all it, serving yeah. a purpose yeah. for
2: the military or the government, mm-hmm. if you will. Yeah, and, and just to provide like I guess an alternative view, I have a I have a a friend that I work with, and um, he's he's all into like technology and robotics and bioinformatics, and he actually loves the idea of having a chip in his hand and he loves it because mm-hmm. of the convenience what, he's, what uh, is he's it all is- for it because exactly that he mm-hmm. loves the idea of extending the capabilities of the human body and i also was i remember watching a documentary a little short mini documentary about uh one of these cons you know like a like comic con or yeah, yeah, yeah. dragon oh, yeah. con but there's like a it's like a wet works kind of con or like a um mm biotechnology con okay. or, or cybernetic con mm-hmm. where people are uh, get enhancements they get things put in their eyes Mm. Things put in their skin. Now, this is at and, the actual convention? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, they either show up at the convention, you know, or they uh, uh, haven't it already done, or they get it done at the convention. Wow. Wow. They like
0: manufacturing Avengers, pretty much, is what they do. <laughs> yeah, wow. Age of Trump. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah.
1: They just had a Comic-Con, or well, they have every year a few of those uh, conventions down at National Harbor, mm-hmm. you know. so oh, Yeah, sometimes when you when you uh, go down there, you'll see, mm-hmm. like with mm-hmm. Comic-Con, you see people dressed like There's all not, kinds. Yeah. All kinds of, you know, comic book uh, figures, and it's really entertaining. But this stuff is going on all around us.
0: And it's going on behind the scenes. I mean, for those of you who listen regularly, you know, I've told you that we record in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. And if you're in this area, whether you're in technology, whether you're in education, whether you're in construction, all of these fields are going to have at some point, they're going to run across the government. And if you do enough work with the federal government, you're going to realize the government does a lot of stuff behind the scenes—a lot, like a lot, capital A, capital L, lot. Um, and so these things, you know, while they should not surprise you, because honestly, in order to stay in power, you're, you know, human beings are going to do whatever they need to do to stay in power. Um, it's just more so that you have to be mindful. Um, these little small tech companies you know, don't think that this is not on the government's radar. You know, at one time, Google was a small tech company. Don't think that wasn't on the government's radar, that there's going to be a company that in and of itself is bigger than everything else on the internet. Like, Google is the internet at this point, right? You see what I'm saying? That stuff doesn't go past the government's radar. So this little small company in Wisconsin testing out chips on 50 people, this is not off the government's radar. This is on their radar because like we were saying, if I mean, they it could were, be
2: funded by proxy. You don't know, not right, know. They could yeah. have a SBIR mm-hmm. uh, 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 grant.
0: Yeah, you're Small exactly business. right. So, you know, we don't know the, the the financials. You're exactly right. But what we have to do is just be mindful as believers in the midst of change. And I don't know, for speaking of people who need to understand change and being mindful of of things that um, shift and, and change around you um, as we pivot here, um, what for, you know, I think three of us here have gone to HBCUs, right? Um H-A-M-P-T-O-N. Uh, enough of that. Enough of that. Pirates right. fight and win. Enough of that. Um, <laughs> Rep- represent
1: some U. Uh, represent Raghu. What's up? U M S Hawks.
0: Right. Okay.
1: Um. A long time
2: ago. <laughs> what, does, you, what does that stand for? University of Maryland U- Eastern University, of Maryland, Maryland oh, Eastern okay, gotcha. University yeah.
0: of Maryland Eastern Shore. Very beautiful campus.
2: Very agricultural oh. driven mm. <laughs> um, I haven't been I, I didn't go to a Oh, I thought you went to Morgan Nah, nah I just had a lot of friends but Oh, UMBC, right? Yeah, I went to UMBC University of Maryland, Baltimore County Which, so. by the
1: way The president, Freeman Habrowski Is a, a graduate of H A. Okay, okay Is he really? Enough
2: of that Well, you know, my president has been black so Oh <laughs> <laughs> Obama stuff Ain't nothing new to me
0: well, you know, but, you know we, we don't have no choice in UMES. You know, all our <laughs> presidents <laughs> President <laughs> But anyway, <is> <laughs> so there, you know, there was an NPR article this week about, you know, the some of the things that transpire when the neighborhoods around HBCUs no longer reflect the population of the school themselves. And we're talking about gentrification, right? I'm just going to put it in layman's terms. Um... I think for a lot of us at the table, you know, myself included, there's, you know, two sides to that coin. There's the one side where you may have an HBCU um, and that's historically black college or university for those of you who didn't know what I was talking about. Um, you may have an HBCU that was once in a black neighborhood, right? Or, you know, whatever minority neighborhood and then the neighborhood changes Yeah. Um, and then you have that conflict um, then you also have just HBCUs that already exist in predominantly white neighborhoods, and you've all, and you've always had the conflict. Like I can speak f- from that perspective in terms of, you know, Umes is in a neighborhood that has always been hostile to the campus, um, because the majority of the town, the county is not minority; it's not African American, um, and so there's always been this level of hostility from law enforcement. Um, from County, um, count, uh, Somerset County. Um, there's always been a, a level of hostility from the residents. And so almost to the point where you're not welcome here. Like we don't care if you're getting an education or whatever. You're just not welcome here. So keep your activity to the campus. And so one of the things that the school has done, and you know, I, I went to the school in the late 90s, so this is a while ago, um, is – the school at that time started to buy up a lot of the property around the campus to actually, you know, so the campus grew in my time there and since the campus grew tremendously because they were just buying up buildings and stuff around the campus because a lot of the things, there wasn't a symbiotic relationship between the town and the university. Yeah,
1: I just wanted to say real quick that it's really, that's an ironic thing as well because when HBCUs started, um, of course, for the purpose of um, of of educating um, African Americans, uh, Cheney back in 1837. This was during the time that slavery still existed, although not particularly in that state. But then a lot of them uh, sprung up around the end of the Civil War. The whole point. Was to educate people who had been uh, marginalized with respect to education for the past two and a half for the previous two and a half centuries. So I think it's ironic that you're talking about hostility uh, with your school in particular, because there was hostility back when the Freedmen's Bureau and other organizations were planting these colleges and universities in the first place. And so it's interesting how people will say there's a lot of prog- there's a lot of progress that had happened in the United States, yet your campus is still experiencing uh, hostility. Maybe for the same reasons. Maybe. For different reasons, but, but that's interesting how that strain exists still.
0: Oh, yeah, I remember when I when I was going there, the, the school did an extensive survey because the University of Maryland Eastern Shore was actually founded with the same land grant that University of Maryland College Park was founded. It was the exact same one. 1890. Shoot, I forget the year. 18, it was late, late 19th century. And As the school was doing it, they were finding out that people in that area had actually co-opted university property. There were people that had built homes on the property because, I mean, you're talking late 19th century, right? Rural Maryland, we are below the Mason-Dixon line, although Maryland is not the quote-unquote deep south, still, you know, in certain respects, the south. So they had found out that people had been built homes and houses. They so I don't know how it is after now. the land grant. Like so after the land grant, they knew what grand. they were doing. They knew what they were and doing,
1: and that you know that, that goes back to a trend on this continent in general. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm going to go back to to HBCUs in a second, but but even you know during the time where you had Indian land uh, or so-called Indian land. So you know uh, during the time of President Jackson. Uh, like there was, there was land. Even though you're pushing Native Americans off of their land, there were, there was, there were always treaties that said, okay, now, boom, this is your land. And as soon as the frontier would be established and it would be determined that Americans are on this side and the Indians will have their new lands or be pushed further west on that side, you would have Americans creeping over into that frontier and planting their their, their houses and their land and then complaining to the government that, that hostilities exist. So it's it's a it's an American tradition uh for, for people to established their homes on lands that were specifically designed to help minorities who had been oppressed for all that time.
0: Mm. And then, so the, the other side of that coin is um, the other side of that coin is what other schools like Howard university, you know, we, we we live not too far from Howard university, one of the largest HBCUs in the country, right. Is when the neighborhood changes, you know, for those of y'all who don't know, like a lot of major cities, New York, Chicago, D.C is being gentrified. It's been going on now for close to 10 years. Um, and so where early 2000s, late '90s, where Howard was maybe a lower in a lower middle class neighborhood, it's not that anymore. That side, it's a couple miles north of Capitol Hill, for, just to give you perspective of where it is in the city. The area, the, the property value of the area surrounding Howard University has increased exponentially. And so it's kind of weird because in in the article, um, the person writing the article was saying how where 10, 15, 20 years ago, they had to worry about different things in the neighborhood. You had to worry about getting robbed or getting attacked. And now you got to worry about now them seeing you as the threat, (laughs) you know, where before you were concerned about the threats outside of the campus. Now the concern is, well, with, The other folks moving around because I think there was like five percent of the people in that area were non-African American, and now it's like twenty-five percent. So now you're have to, you know, as a black person in America, listen again. I've said it before. We we have a certain level of, you know, cognizance to realize: Am I being perceived as a threat? Right. You know. Now you have this cadre of I don't know how many students are at Howard.
1: It's about 10,000.
0: 10,000 African-American students, right? Well, not all African-American. Let's call that 80% of them are mm-hmm. African-American, yeah. right? In this concentrated area, surrounded by a changing neighborhood who may perceive them as a threat.
1: And that's one of the most terrible things about gentrification. Um, I, I do want to say that uh, one of the things about gentrification that that I, that's really difficult for me to... to, to accept is that you have some people who move into a neighborhood, they did their research, they looked to determine if they liked the neighborhood, if they wanted to buy homes there, They made a conscious decision to move into a neighborhood, and then they turn around on it and want to change that same neighborhood that they deliberately moved into. It's similar to the drumming uh, incident uh, at what used to be called Malcolm X Park, or back home in New York, in Marcus Garvey Park. There are traditions that have existed for decades upon decades, Uh, Friday night drumming, Saturday night drumming, just just cultural traditions. And there are people who move in and then want to change that, or complain about things that that they moved in yeah,
2: for. In right. um, mm, I'm from I'm from New York. I'm from Brooklyn. Yeah. Here we go. And, Still claiming the No, I'm <laughs> <kidding>. <laughs> and, that's how we do. And uh, I remember. Reading, I remember. Let me not mumble rap my st- my statements. I remember Lil uh, Avery Vert. No, I'm just <laughs> Who started mumble? Who's the biggest? Was it Chief Keith? I think Chief Key probably, because he was probably the Keef most no extreme. extreme. Walker Flocka, maybe?
0: Or Walker Flocka before him? Hmm, I don't know, man. But
2: I know Chief Key was probably like the most extreme. But he no, don't no, even rhyme. No, 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 no. So, okay, oh, so no. that was, I, we just went down a path. So let me pull it back. Uh, I can remember in Brooklyn, I read an article. I wasn't there at the time, but this is a recent article about a mural. It was a uh, notorious B.I.G. Oh, uh, yes. Mural. That was up, and yeah, I actually, that. I think I have an idea where it is. Uh, and I read the article about how the local community, um, the I don't know, homeowners association, whatever it was, um, voted for the mural to be taken down because because um, they felt like it was a, it, it it caused too much. Um, uh, walking traffic yeah people were uh, visiting
1: and taking pictures of yeah uh, what the, yeah. you moved into the bedford stuyvesant section of brooklyn uh, why did you move there you
2: want to get it taken down because it's an inconvenience it,
1: you saw it, when you were looking for for your your brownstone you saw you know the big mug right there and then mm-hmm. you're going to come in and then say oh now there's too much foot tra- foot traffic
2: uh-huh. are you serious yeah I, I know um spike lee he had his he he, he wrote something about maybe two years ago I want to say it was like, it was a, it was a, he did, he did a video and then it was an actual article for the New York Times, the Daily News, or whatever it was. But then he was talking about gentrification that's taking place in um, Fort Greene, which is like ground zero. Well, that in bed style, like my street growing up was like ground zero of gentrification in the United States. Anyway, he was talking about how n- new neighbors had called the police on his father father bill lee who uh i think he played the trumpet or sax something like that yeah saxophone and uh they they called and complained about the noise now i i actually grew up in a house very similar to that my grandfather's a jazz was a jazz musician he has since passed away but i my grandfather we lived in a brownstone yeah and um i mean i used to be woken up Saturday mornings, hearing him practice his music, practice his saxophone yeah. on those, on the keys on the saxophone. And that's just what it was. It never it. it. I mean, that's a part of the fabric of the society. It's not a nuisance or a disruption. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's,
1: I just, I know. just, you know, it's just one thing I just wanted to say about that is that. You know, I think that's probably one of the differences between expectation. Yeah. Well, that's one of the dif- yeah, that's one of the differences between black gentrification and white gentrification, because I would one thing that I've always pushed, you know, since we started seeing this as a phenomena is that middle class black people also move in or uh, upper class black people and people of a variety of uh, backgrounds also move in uh, and take advantage of, of low real estate costs mm-hmm. and make changes to neighborhoods by virtue of the increase in the property taxes you know my brother you know it was a part of a group of young i mean dc for those who don't know you know uh, there are people who come here every single year new college graduates Earn a good salary and are, are building their lives here, and so he was a part of a a group that t- tried to gentr- tried to gentrify a, and they didn't say it like this, but they moved into, you know, certain parts of Anacostia, assuming that uh, so that this would be a good investment. So there are all kinds of people who gentrify, but I think there's a difference um, between when we see black middle class and upper class people gentrifying neighborhoods versus white ones. This is a generalization because obviously not all white people who gentrify will complain about, <laughs> about some of the pre-existing conditions that they moved into. But we see it more with those who don't look like the, the the neighbors that they moved next to, like with your grandfather or with Spike Lee. And so I bring that up because uh, Spike Lee's uh, store was right across the street from my uh, high school. I went to high oh, school Spike's in Brooklyn. Spike's Joint? Yeah, Spike's Joint. I went to Brooklyn Tech. Brooklyn Tech was literally right across the street from spike's joint or the other way
2: around you you was freshly dipped in all the latest (laughs) malcolm x hats and shirts 40 (laughs) acres and a mule but Uh um
1: but the thing is that some people came back at there was some pushback at spike lee's article and and some of his Mm -hmm. uh concerns from a few years ago saying what are you talking about you're a rich man and you gentrified this area as well Um, But I did not see Spike Lee and other people with means of color who gentrified trying to change the fabric of the neighborhood, change the culture, move into a a place and then change it. If you want to live in a different type of environment, then move to the type of environment that you want to live in.
0: I mean, I think that's what it is. It's not necessarily an economic thing. It's more of the culture. It's the culture of the thing. No,
3: I, I disagree, Imani. I think, think it is, it's, e- it's the economic thrust because gentrification Are you disagreeing itself, with me? No. I am absolutely <laughs> <No>. disagree. <laughs> the thrust oh. of gentrification is to move the middle class people into an area that's mm. that's essentially at a lower cost of living at mm. that point. Yeah. And then the, the people that move in, they'll change the culture naturally because that's what they want. They want certain things. They want Walking to walk, be able to walk their dogs, or be able to walk to stores, or whatever the thrust is
2: for that city. So Yeah, but
0: do you think it's a, a an economic thing or it's a culture thing? That's what I'm saying.
2: Mm. Well, uh, so, well, well, how these things, how do these things happen? Like, you have homeowners associations. Then you have municip- municipalities and please. I'm, t- you know, if anybody knows more about this, you know, let yeah. me. You know. You can take lead on this yeah. one. But, <laughs> nah, I mean, trust me. There's, there's plenty of people who know more about this than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that said, I am a hon- homeowner <laughs> and a landlord, and uh, I pay a condo fee. I'm also part of a. I'm a part of a condo association, which is essentially it's a homeowners association. What? Is what mm-hmm. it is. And I've also lived in Baltimore. I live. I've, I currently live in Tacoma Park. I live in Washington, D.C., and um, there are a lot of things that I've, I, that I learned, and mm. some neighborhoods, some neighborhoods stand for things, and some other neighborhoods don't, don't yeah. <laughs> and um, I see
0: that. But when people move in, would that neighborhood still stand for that thing? I think it all depends.
1: Can you give an example? What's one thing that a neighbor, of course you don't have to name the specific neighborhood, stood for and said, look, you're coming in here. You're going to have to accept the way we do things versus
2: other examples. Okay, yeah, sure. So, um,
0: I can tell you right where we are now. I'm not going to say my city, but where we are right now, literally, in this community, there used to be a golf course here. If you go out the front door when y'all leave, I'll show you. Mm -hmm. There used to be a golf course here. Now that the neighborhood has changed and it's predominantly African American, the golf course shut down like three years ago. My neighbor was telling me. Well,
1: right. what, but what kind of golf course was it? Was it a, a, a predominantly public, black? Well, it
0: was a public golf course. Oh, it's a okay. public golf course. So and this when the demographics of the neighborhood. Na- And you joined the golf club, but when the demographics of the neighborhood changed, the golf club shut down.
1: Is it because the people,
0: the middle class- Don't play golf. The middle class black people in this neighborhood- Who bought
1: these houses just don't play golf. They don't play golf. Okay, okay. So
0: just as an aside to that, something that was probably culturally to the people who were here, because it was a golf course, has changed because the demographics of the neighborhood has changed. So there's two sides to that thing because mm-hmm. there are still, mm-hmm. this is not, I mean, it's not totally black, but it's majority black. There's still a lot of white people that live in this neighborhood. Yeah. I'm recording at my house, so you hear me now. Um, but the, the because the demographics have changed, some of the things that were here, some of the flavor of this community has changed. You see what I'm saying? So I don't know if it's that, that sort of. Yeah. In, in line with what you were saying
2: yeah yeah no um it's it's a part of it uh I think that there's a tie there's a tie between politicians uh, who are also members of neighborhoods but they can sign things and and allocate money to go to certain areas uh, and then homeowners associations hmm. and so um like okay I can tell you one thing so when I was living in Baltimore uh, I was I moved into a place that uh, was dealing with was dealing with a crime crime a lot of crime I don't know if it was a crime wave um, but I know that it there was crime that was happening that was pre uh but there there was also a property manager who wasn't doing a good job in securing the building right and there have been multiple incidents multiple incidents multiple incidents um, but what I learned after having lived there is that the, na- the people living in that property didn't talk to each other, like in an in, in apartment complex. So the property manager was able to get away with, uh, oh, really that happened? Oh, that never happens, telling everybody individually. But then when people start talking, you start learning that, no, this is a pattern. And the property manager doesn't do anything about it. But one of the things that I learned living out there that you probably people probably will tell you is that you get more police you get more police in a certain area by the more police report by the more incidents that you file. So, if the community, if the prop, if if the if the members of the community in an apartment complex, if the residents got together and whenever something happened, you filed the incident report instead of just treating it as like, oh, it was just kind of like a one-off thing, you know, um, we'd have more police. We would have more police patrolling there and by definition there would be less crime. But um, because the community doesn't get together you get those kinds of effects you you also have you also have um you have property managers that uh and and, and and landlords building developers that that lie and they make certain promises to um to 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 the people in charge of that particular area they lie to the other the, the homeowners association within the particular area that they're not going to do something and then they do it or they will do something and then they don't. And by the time the building is built, I mean, it's just kind of like, oh, well, you just got to deal with it. Whereas you have other communities that um, are a little bit more or a lot more, they stick together a lot more. Yeah. You know, and so and so they, they just, there's certain things that they stand for and certain things that they don't. Um, yeah. Some communities, like even around in this neighborhood here uh uh and not just here but it's very popular in Maryland to not have uh to not have sidewalks in your community right with a lot of the single-fat family homes
0: limited foot traffic
2: limited yeah. it's a reason why yeah. it the places like Woodmore Woodmore North a lot and I'm just naming I'm just name jobbing that but it's more way more than that yeah um mm-hmm. it's a reason why you have these entire communities with these houses, but then there's no sidewalks. People got to walk on the street, you know, or in Glendale, all kinds of places. And the reason why that is, is to make it inconvenient for uh, random people to walk through the neighborhood, period
1: yeah no uh, Northern Virginia is notorious for that. I remember when I first uh, started working out there as an educator, you know I, I would just say, wait a second there's no sidewalk. what if someone was getting their car um, you know serviced how what? so so yeah well, that's interesting
2: and so and so let's contextualize what that means. okay well, that makes sense for nowhere people so that means that um, uh, you're not gonna have that many people who can get there like for, without a car. For, without a car, mm-hmm. right? You need certain means. It requires transportation, means. So. It requires which means that you're not going to get a, a lot of uh, random jokers who don't have means or people getting you know, off the metro or off the bus or just walking through or congregating uh, in, in front of your house or at your corner. or you know, That's what it's for. That's what it's for. So, I think people
0: think that yeah. this is like a new phenomenon when it's not. You know, If you are familiar with Washington, D.C., you'll even notice the the way the metro is designed. Yep. There's a big section of the city that there's no metro. It won't even touch, yeah. That was by design. The entire upper northwest, the red line goes around it because when the metro was being built, the people in that side of part of the city were like we do not want public transportation coming through this part of the city. So guess what it does? It doesn't go up there. Yep. So this, you know, gentrification and the the notion that certain cultures right have certain things that are native to that culture right that that's not a new phenomenon and so you know just to really bring it back to this discussion about the neighborhood gentrifying around HBCUs yeah. Howard in particular just because we're here in DC is that the 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 economic part i think is a secondary thing only because when p- if people were of the same culture, right, mm-hmm. just like what you were saying about middle class black people, they may move in, yes. but you don't lose as much of the culture, okay. even if they're of a different means. You know, I'll give you a prime example. When I, when I left the northern part of the city, there's a big Caribbean community up there, right? There's not as much out here. So, like, if I want to go eat, if I want to go shopping, I got to go up there. I got to go to Hyatt'sville, Tacoma Park, Silver Spring, Wheaton. I got to go up there. There's nothing out here for that particular group of people, for that culture. So, the people, even if you're of a certain economic means, they move up there. Like, I I, I talked to a guy that I work with. He's um, Puerto Rican. And he was asking me, yo, why did you move out here? I was like, well, I was looking for more space. He lives in Wheaton. He's like, yo, I can't leave this area. He's like, because all my stuff is up here. He's (laughs) like, I'm going to have to find a spot up here. Like, I'm not leaving this demographic. Hmm. You know, even though he's got a big government job and doing X, Y, and Z, he wants to stay within a certain perimeter because of the culture of the neighborhood. So I think when you lose... The culture, by default, everything else is like dominoes. It's just like, you know, it just falls out. So I think for a lot of these neighborhoods, if people of color were moving into it with the same economic level, if, if all the economics are the same, but it's a different culture of people, I think it would not be as much of an impact as it would be when you have people of that economic means and They're of a different culture, so they come in changing the culture.
1: I think this also speaks to the responsibility of the HBCUs. Uh, um, This is not just for me to big up my own school. (laughs) Okay, this is not just for me to big up my own school. (laughs) But one thing, (laughs) right? (laughs) But one thing that Hampton has done, um, we're right across the street from downtown Hampton, Virginia, Mm. and so we've actually purchased a lot of that uh, of if you can call it a cityscape because hampton virginia is a small little town you see how Um, she said we you like (laughs) but 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 a lot of the a lot of you know the cityscape that you see um, is is owned by the university and the university um has its land and then it's it you know it's it's expanding and it's actually making use of of that town in that way, and so I think it's really important that universities, whether we're talking about Langston all the way down in Oklahoma in a rural area, or even um, uh, the, uh, uh, Prairie View, which I think is in a rural area, or ones that are in urban areas, um, you know, don't just sort of stick in, uh, stick around your your boundaries. You should be expanding anyway. Um, yes, it should be for the the good of the community, but it should also be balanced uh, to be for the good of the university.
2: Well- and according to according to one of the articles that I had uh, researched for Howard University, that's exactly what they've been doing. Yeah, they've been buying up uh, property around uh, Howard University, and they're building um, a uh, property at the moment that's going to house like I can't remember it was three hundred units, seventy units. It was it was it was a pretty big number, but okay. but they did say um, that it's probably going to be white people that's going to be moving in there. And so they said that they have to figure out they have they have to figure out how to find some kind of way to be able to, to be able to be um to have some kind of like cultural uh um uh they have to get get along. Get along so that so that the things don't turn into like you were talking about before. And also what was alluded in the article is that you know that the black people, who are historically seen as the ethnic other, um, don't start to feel like they are being targeted in their own neighborhoods right. and have to mm-hmm. have to move and, and like they're less than. Well, that's really so. a
1: delicate balance, yeah. So if you're a university, you want to, of course, continue to um, to. to 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 invest in your in your area for the benefit of your university for the benefit of your endowment and really being able to give scholarships or whatever it is that you're trying to do with your university your university but at the same time you want to make sure that the neighborhood um, is something that you're contributing to culturally and not just um, sort of giving those properties out and then having an invasion it should be okay this is this is the uh, sector of the city where Howard University is, or Lincoln University is, and and you can see that reflected in the culture of the area.
0: I think there has to be something that, like the and you know, I'm I'm not even sure I'm not an expert on you know higher education, but there there has to be a symbiotic relationship between the area and the university. I, I, I think it's impossible for the university. I think about University of Maryland, the main campus, like College Park is University of Maryland. Yeah, like that the, is College Park. Yeah, like the city and the university are like one in the same. Like the, like there isn't this, that's the university, and we're, you know, it's like- It it's is all, the center mm, of oh, yeah. College
2: Park. Like Happy Valley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And,
0: um, and State uh, College, State. yeah. Yeah. State, Penn State State so college. we gotta, you know, we 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 have to figure out, you know, and for those of you who might have gone HBCUs or really any college campus, um, you you know, there there, it's a humongous congregation of people, right? So there has to be some kind of symbiotic relationship with the surrounding neighborhoods, the surrounding areas, and we can't, you know, lose or lose sight of the fact that the college campus has a culture. And the surrounding area has a culture and there has to be a bridge to tie those two together. Like there has to be some common ground with the two. tie. They can't exist side by side and just think they can be polar opposites. Right. And just think it's going to be a, it'll work itself out. No, it's not going to work itself out. There has to be some kind of link or bridge to sort of connect the, the two together, I think. Um,
1: and newcomers need to respect that they came they moved into a context right you know, so, existing you know context. i mean what are you what are you doing you're you're just going to move into a to a historic neighborhood and then say oh we want to change it why did you move there in the first place well
2: okay well what about what about the other end of the what about the other other end of the spectrum the other side of the story like well what if nothing is done what if like what what are what are some examples like what if you know what what is the end of the story in that in that in that regard like what happens to to how a university they continue down this track.
0: I mean, honestly, I could, like and, I said. in Georgia
2: I, Avenue, and I guess that would be the Petworth neighborhood. Yeah.
0: Right? All the way up, yeah. I yeah. mean, like I said, giving you an example from someone or who LaJoy went to an HBCU mm-hmm. who was already surrounded by a white neighborhood, it'll be contentious. Mm-hmm. There will be a contentious relationship between the students at the university and the surrounding neighborhoods. And you can already see that. That's why there's no Caribbean festival on Georgia Avenue anymore because the residents are like, we're not having it. That's amazing. Like, that's, that's, amazing. that's what will happen. That... As someone who's from the Caribbean community, that's why there hasn't been a Caribbean festival in Georgia Avenue in like five years.
1: Universities mm-hmm. need to assert you know. themselves. You've been there since 1866. What are you, you know, what? Are you serious? I mean, are you really going to let it just fold like that? Or is this just a, a result of capitalism and, you know. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I mean, and, and you just have to grit and bear it. I mean, but does a large university that has roots there have to grit and bear it?
0: When you're dealing with powers or beyond and you? and bear yeah. it? I think when you're dealing with powers beyond you, you might have to. Yeah. All right. So we're going to let's let's go ahead and pivot here. Right. Let's let's go ahead and pivot here. Um, And so we want to uh, grin and bear with our sponsors. (laughs) (laughs) Do you feel like you're just managing day to day? Imagine a life where you understand your purpose, you're actively pursuing your goals, you're impacting the people around you through your leadership, and you have systems in place for maximum efficiency. Well, let me introduce you to Coach Sheba. She is a leadership development coach who works with professionals, entrepreneurs, and leaders, men and women like you, who are ready to stop managing day-to-day and start leading within the circles of influence they can impact clients working with her team learn the value of the process that leads to growth and development within themselves and how that impacts the way they relate to their purpose, others, and time. When your mindset shifts and your behavior changes, this equates to a change that is sustainable. These changes professionally and personally will result in a changed life. Get in touch with Sheba today at www.coachsheba.com. That's C O A C H S H E E B A.com. Or she can be reached at 650 741 6545. Please support our sponsors the way they support our podcast and tell them you heard about it at Across the Intersection. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for rocking with us. In the second half of this week's podcast, we began a discussion on Christian music. It was deep and lasted longer than we planned. So because of that, we are doing a disc two. So we thank you for supporting us. And to continue listening, go to episode eight, disc two. Know that we will always keep God in the midst and never push him to the margins. And we're going to always work to bring you our content from that mature perspective. Peace.